0: The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Palmer, your host, and each week the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman grew up in South Africa. Within this family, the messages were clear. You operate by a strict code of ethics. You earn things if you want them, and schoolwork is important. These messages shaped who she became as a young woman. When she graduated high school at age 15, she wanted to be a doctor, but her father talked her out of it, and she instead became an attorney. As the years flew by, she served in top executive positions, taught at Caltech, and authored several books. But her real greatness began when she started a nonprofit to mentor exceptional women. In this place, she coaches and mentors outstanding women So, they can step into their own greatness. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Lorraine Siegel. Hi, Lorraine. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you. It's an exciting opportunity to chat. Yes, it is. It is. So, we have limited time together. So, I'm going to say, let's go ahead and get started. Risk taking is necessary if one wants to play big, but with risk often comes problems. So, my question to you, Lorraine, is how do you handle risk and the problems that can arise? Well, I have a, a
1: general rule, which I try to share with everybody that I can touch in this way who ask me about risk. The question to ask, is somebody going to die? And if the answer is yes, for heaven's sake, don't do it. Is somebody going to be physically injured? And if the answer is yes, don't do it. Anything else means that the answer could be no. And if the answer is no, well, okay. No is an invitation to help change somebody's mind. So, most people are afraid of rejection, and I believe that being polite, being courteous, and being somebody who is pleasant can get you a long way, and you should take risks because that way you stretch and bend your mind and actually get yourself into all kinds of interesting opportunities. And,
0: and I'm going to dig a little deeper on that, Lorraine, because I think there is risk in being complacent and doing the same thing over and over. And I think people think that's a safe zone,
1: but I think they're fooling themselves in that. Do you agree with that? Yes, I agree, and I think that uh, some people are born with a complacency approach to life, and other people become more complacent the more successful they become. and I think that that will ultimately lead to tremendous lack of learning opportunity. The more complacent you are, the less you are open to new ideas. and so I think being a in a continual learning approach for the rest of your life means that you're interesting to people and you're interested in people. And that always makes for somebody you want to hang around with.
0: Oh, yeah, that's that's brilliant. It really is. So all successful women, and I, I think you and I both agree on this, have some form of positive self-talk. And I know you're no different. What does your self-talk look like these days?
1: And has it changed over the years? Oh, there's no doubt my self-talk is very different now than it was when I was younger. I had more negative self-talk when I was younger than I do now. Fortunately, one of the benefits of growing older is that you really don't care that much uh, whether things uh, work out perfectly or not because you know there's always a tomorrow. And I think when you're younger, you want things to be perfect. You want them to be exactly the way you envisage them, and that's not the way life is. So I had to work very hard on my own self-talk. I had to work very hard on being positive and not letting those negative voices in my head take uh, predominance over my actions. And over the years, uh, having written those things down into affirmations, which I repeat all the time and change as as need be, that has become a habit. And that's part of the template of mentoring that we have in our foundation, that uh, you need very, very much to work on your own self-talk and make sure that it is leading you in the right direction. And one thing that you said that I thought was was so
0: intriguing is that that, that changed for you over time. And I had one woman that tell me, which I thought was quite interesting. She's an ex-marine. And it's, you know, you'd think someone that had gone through that rich of training would never have any problem with negative self-talk. And she admitted that she still did from time to time. So she had a conversation with herself. she said, say, okay, we're not going there. This is not what, I mean, she would verbalize it out loud. So there's lots of ways you can kind of play that game and trick yourself into not accepting
1: to stay in that space. That's right. And I think verbalizing is an excellent way to do it. I always say to the, the ladies that we mentor, and it's part of our program, that affirmations need to be written down, make it three to five of them, and say them every time you go to the bathroom, whenever you have an opportunity to be alone uh, without distraction. And unfortunately for most of us, and especially if you're a mom, (laughs) that's in the bathroom. (laughs) But but it works because, you know, anything from two to seven times a day, you are saying positive affirmations uh, and taking care of your body at the same time. So it's a good combination. It is. That's brilliant. I hadn't thought
0: about putting them in the bathroom, but that's 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 very practical, isn't it? (laughs) So, other women often struggle with justifying investing in themselves. So, I'd like for you to share your perspective on why you think this is and why it really
1: matters that women invest in themselves. Well, I hate to generalize because some women are very much focused on themselves. But in general, women are caretakers. We are daughters. We are spouses. We are sisters. We are in a position where we tend to, as the child maker in a way, we give birth to children. There is certainly a hormonal and internal devotion to taking care of those children and others around us. So that instinct is a wonderful one. And very often many women are overwhelmed by the responsibilities they feel for others. So to actually make an investment, whether time or money in yourself, may be antithetical to all of the things that you do on your daily life. So for many women, it's a big step and an important one. And it's a statement for themselves as well as to others that they realize that self-improvement is going to improve their family, their business, their workplace, their community. So all of that goes together. It's not really a selfish move. It's a globally thoughtful move.
0: Yeah, and I I think you put it beautifully because I do think so many women enter into a place of guilt when they think about investing in themselves, whether it's going to be time or money. I like what you said because if they can flip that in their mind and realize by investing in themselves, they are investing in those around them that they love
1: because they show up better. I agree. You know, it's like the airline, although none of us are on airplanes anymore at the moment, but it's the airline idea that you put your own oxygen mask on first and then help others around you. And we've seen it over and over again. The women who are rising as women leaders in the Exceptional Women Awardees Foundation. These are women who are learning that the more competent they become, the better they are as leaders, the more good they do for their organizations, their families, their communities, and so on. So it's a very much a circle kind of investment which uh, shows benefit on every single level. Yeah, beautiful. Now, You've been married a long time. I think you told
0: me it was 52 years. And you've been married to a surgeon. So I would call you two definitely a power couple as the years have passed. So what has been your secret to making it work all these years? Hard work on the marriage.
1: (laughs) You mean it hasn't been an easy place? (laughs) No, 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 no. Marriage is not easy. Fulfilling and rewarding, but tremendously hard work. And you know, over the past 50 years, I would say that there have been many times when my husband's career was in ascendancy and I had to make do with uh, what was available for my career at that point, which wasn't much. And then when my career was in ascendancy, ascendancy and he was supportive to help me along and you know there were some sacrifices in that I was traveling all over the world and we have one son and you know that, that was difficult. It were difficult times. So marriage is absolutely not linear. (laughs) It is uh, a time of development of two human beings who go through life cycles. It's not easy. It takes a lot of work for many people, and we're similar, therapy uh, sometimes. And also as you mature, it becomes even more fulfilling. So I think that that is something which one has to align one's expectations uh, to bring together two powerful strong-willed people into a union is never going to be straightforward and it's never going to be easy. And that's what makes it so exciting. But it is work, there's no doubt, and joy.
0: Yeah, I have have to agree. And, And so many women are afraid to go down that route or have had failures in their eyes because they couldn't keep the relationship and i think your point of managing expectations is really critical and realize that
1: sometimes somebody's given 100% and somebody else has given 100% and sometimes in your marriage you you only give 50% at that particular moment and you give 150 at a, another moment so it's as i said it's not linear and it's not predictable all the time either I think one of the biggest challenges for very successful women is being married to men who are supportive of that role. And there are some amazing men out there who are fully committed to being the at-home father and being the one who makes sure that his wife's career is on the ascendancy and that that income is the sole income so that he is at home taking care of the children and at this moment homeschooling. Many men in our network who are married to our women leaders are in that position. And then there are other men who are intimidated by our success and feel less than rather than equal or more than. And so those are some of the challenges that uh, women who are strong have to face, and uh, we work through them. We we look at the holistic picture of our women leaders because you cannot look at a woman only in her work environment. She has too many roles to play, and we therefore take all of those roles into account in mentoring her.
0: Yeah, we're complex creatures, aren't we?
1: <laughs> yes, makes, we do. It makes us so much fun to eat. It
0: does, doesn't it? Yeah, it makes us so much juicier, doesn't it? <laughs> All right, so one word I know that irritates you a little bit is the word deserve. So tell me what this word implies to you and why people need to be careful of it.
1: Yes, I, I think deserve is a self judgment that you put upon yourself, which seems to imply other people owe you. And I think that approach in life can be very, very destructive. So it's, it's not a, an approach that makes people warm towards you. It doesn't make people want to give you anything or pay you anything. And so having that approach is not, I don't think, beneficial for you in the short or long term. I would rather have people give you things without you feeling that you deserve it. And then be overjoyed when you got it because it was so unexpected. And then the opportunity is there to say thank you rather than you owe me. So it's a very important mindset. And I think I have seen the most successful people that I know are the most humble people that I know and are constantly feeling that they are grateful, enormously grateful for what they have, for where they are, for what they get paid, for their opportunities, uh, no matter how small or large. So that's uh, where I think deserve doesn't have a place in that picture for me.
0: Yeah, and and I'm on the same place you are. I have found personally that if you're on that grateful train, life is certainly much sweeter.
1: It is, it is. And I think there's, we call it an attitude of gratitude, And for many of our women, one of the things we recommend is every time that you exercise, say the five things that uh, you are grateful for on that particular day. One of our leaders told us that before she goes to sleep at night, she used to be worrying about things that happened at work and things she had to do the next day. Instead, now she makes herself go through the 10 things for which she is most grateful and she finds that she goes to sleep by number five. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good way to help yourself relax and, and be grateful and happy. Better than popping a sleeping pill, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <definitely>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd say. So I'm going to quote you, a very collaborative person. And that's one way you des- that you described yourself. So tell me how collaboration has been key to your incredible success and what advice you would have for
1: others to use this approach. Well, I started off in the legal community and as a practicing attorney to study to be a barrister in South Africa and then a trial lawyer here in Los Angeles. uh, It was the antithetical role than that the one I have now. And I was in a very adversarial environment and I did not enjoy that. In fact, it gave me an ulcer. My whole body was screaming, get out of this space. It's not for you. And that was the first clue I had that being adversarial is not where I want to be. Uh, and as I moved through the business environment and and was fortunate to have some success, what I found was that the area of partnering became a core area of my expertise. And I wrote uh, six books in the topic. And I, as you mentioned earlier, I taught executive education at Caltech on strategic alliances and built the leading consultancy in the space globally. So, collaboration was the name of the game for me, Uh, helping companies and, of course, their executives collaborate in a metrics-driven, value-added way, not an adversarial way, but rather a collaborative way to develop partnerships uh, became my whole life. And from that intellectual property, uh, I created the template which we now use at the Exceptional Women Awardees Foundation to enable our women leaders to rise in their careers.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And, you know, it's a natural tendency for women to be collaborative, isn't it? So if they use it properly, it can flow very naturally for them and can be a powerful attribute. It can. I
1: hate to have generalizations. Uh, I have met many women who are not collaborative. (laughs) So being a woman doesn't mean that you are naturally collaborative. There are skills and tools that you have to learn. And we are determined within our foundation to make sure that our leaders have those as their primary tools. They're very competitive people and that's fine. But collaboration has to be a tool that is an integral part Of their approach to management and
0: leadership, and and you're right. It is a very powerful tool when you develop that skill and fine tune it, for sure. So you are a person who is very aware of protecting your privacy, and certainly many women feel the same, including myself. So, do you have any tips for us women on how we can be impactful while
1: still protecting our privacy? It depends, really, what role you have in your world. In my world. I feel a huge sense of responsibility to the women leaders in our foundation, and so I am extremely careful about what I say on social media, and I believe that that is something that we all have to be careful about. You don't want things to be misinterpreted. You don't want personal opinions to creep into something that should be strictly objective. And so, in our foundation, we have a rule that politics is not allowed. And that enables women who have vastly different points of view to love each other and support each other and get on with each other and talk about every other topic that is important. And so, that's one of the rules that we have. Uh, Religion is also not involved. I would say most of our women are committed to one religion or another, and we have women who are Christian and Jewish and Muslim and atheists. So we have every approach. And that's the tone of acceptance is and tolerance is really something that is very important to me and to everyone in the foundation. And so with that, I counsel everybody to please be quite careful about what they write in social media because that can be misinterpreted. And if they want to do it for themselves personally, that's entirely up to them. But as far as the foundation and the membership in the foundation is concerned, we have to maintain by our ethical guidelines.
0: You know, talking about privacy, a friend of mine who's now deceased, but was she was so wise, she used to always say, never put in writing what you don't want published in a newspaper.
1: Very true. And that
0: (laughs) that was very wise, wasn't it? I've never forgotten that. So whenever I write something, especially in protecting my privacy, I think about no matter where it's written, whether it's in a text to someone, social
1: media, in a letter, realize that it could be published in a newspaper. That's true. And you know one of the sad things about being in public life is that if you do happen to go into a public position, everything about your life is open to the world. And you know, that dissuades a lot of really good people from taking public office. And I was one of them. I was offered an opportunity many years ago, which would have meant in the state of California, making my entire background and all the assets that my husband and I owned open to the public. And, you know, that is just now you expose yourself to so much evil that comes with that. It's just not worth it. And I think that's very sad because it means that very good, wise, competent, ethical people don't want to expose their families that way. And their desire for power is not stronger than their desire for privacy. And that's really causing a lot of the wrong kinds of people to seek public office. Yeah, I agree. I agree.
0: Lorraine, is there anything about your journey to greatness
1: that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Well, you're very kind to say a journey to greatness. I don't think that I have journeyed it to greatness in any way at all. And I still have a lot to learn and I am learning every single day. And I think that's probably the only message I would share is that age is just a number. I'm 72 and I feel that I have a good 30, 40 years ahead of me to continue learning. I meet these incredible women who uh, we are interviewing, who apply for our, our program at the EWA Foundation. And that just expands my life on a daily basis. So, you know, I, I'm very blessed. I have a happiness machine that I wake up every day with a smile on my face because we are giving goodness. We are receiving goodness. The women are so incredibly supportive. We screen for authenticity as well as, as um, honesty and The kind of women who are in the network are just like that. So it's an amazing life I have. And I just encourage everybody to keep learning. And I think that is wonderful words to end our
0: time together today. And and Lorraine, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know there's a lot going on in your life with all the wonderful things you're doing with your foundation and other things that you have your input into. And I just really appreciate you sharing your nuggets
1: of gold with us. Thank you so much, Annette. And what an amazing program you have here. And good luck to you on your journey. You are changing the world as well. Thank you so much. And Lorraine is
0: another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on The World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman story unfolds.